everybody. Welcome to Pivot and Thrive. This is your host, Ken Shea. I'm a certified retirement coach. Today is Wednesday, August 18th, 2021. And today I'm talking to Sean DeMartel, and he is a multifamily apartment investor and operator. And he's been achieving financial independence and retiring early, or he's preparing to retire early. And that's what he's here to do for you, too. He's got some really unique information about how you can make your money work a little bit better for you, go a little further and get you out of the loop there of um, not being able to retire. So, Sean, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Kim. I really appreciate you having me on. I'm I'm excited to provide whatever value I can to your listeners and chat a little bit about uh, multifamily real estate. Thank you so much. How did you get into this? What's your background? Tell us who you are. So um, a little bit about my background. I started my W2 job as air traffic controller. Um, I've been doing this for 10 years now, if you include my five years in the United States Navy as an air traffic controller. Um, So uh, actually going on 11 years, but um, I'm still at the W2 job and I'm going to be quitting next year and will be financially free, uh, living off of passive real estate income. And I'm turning 33 years old. So not bad. Not bad Um, at all. Not bad. Uh, I got into this. um, I basically started going down a rabbit hole when a friend of mine who is a real estate professional introduced me to this podcast called the Bigger Pockets Podcast, which is probably the I think it is the most famous real estate podcast and website in the world now. And this podcast is all about real estate investing. And this was, you know, probably five years ago that I first got into this. So I started listening to this podcast one day. I put it on while I was on a road trip with my girlfriend. And everything that I was hearing was making sense to me. I kept hearing these average, everyday, middle-class Americans uh, as guests on the show that were, you know, put, uh, investing their money into real estate, um, building up a portfolio, and then eventually quitting their day jobs and living off of the income from that portfolio. And this was really resonating with me because as an air traffic controller, I work a lot. Um, my days off are Tuesday, Wednesday, so I work weekends. I miss out on lots of events and um, holidays, um, you know, weddings, all sorts of things, just due to the nature of the hours that I work. And so I started to think to myself that, um, you know, pretty early on that I don't want to do this all the way until I retire and miss out on so many things in life, even though it's a great high or high, you know, six-figure income. But there is a trade-off for that. And I was realizing that the traditional dogma of, you know, saving into my 401k until I retired and then living off of that income um, wasn't making sense to me. I didn't want to do that anymore. And so when I was hearing these real estate professionals give their stories, it was just a, a light bulb was going off in my head that if I just invested my, in, my income very heavily and focused on this, that I could probably do the same thing. Well, fast forward. Um, I started reading every single book I could get my hands on. Every time a guest on a podcast would recommend a book, I'd buy it, go read it. Mm-hmm. Then I started listening to other podcasts. And then, like I said, I just got down this rabbit hole and there was a, a solid period of about a year and a half to two years of just uh, learning as much as I could for free or for the small cost of a book. Well, eventually I met my two partners who I work with as air traffic controllers. One of them has already quit at the W2 job. The other one's quitting next May and I'm going to be following him. And but these two partners, you know, were looking for real estate deals just like I was. And then eventually we said, why don't we just partner together and get right into apartments? That's that's our ultimate goal. Anyways, Um, let's skip all of the single family stuff, get into the big stuff right away and just dive in head first. And that's exactly what we did. 
So I know there's a lot to unpack there, but here we are today. We own 327 apartment units in growing. Oh. Wow. And we, we intend to continue building that portfolio. And like I said, I'm 33 years old in December, and I'm going to be quitting my W-2 job and just focusing on managing my portfolio. That is amazing. What an amazing process that you did to learn all that and then make it happen. That's awesome. So, yeah, there is a lot to unpack there. But let me let me start with, so you, you only own multifamily. You don't own single family. Is that, and why is that? What was the rationale behind that? So I own a few single family homes and small okay. multifamily, but those I exclusively um, rent on Airbnb because the cash flow and income potential is so much greater. Um, the reason, though, why we focus our business on multifamily is really a couple of things. One is scalability. Um, whenever you're managing 150 apartment units in one community, it's far, far easier and less expensive than managing 150 different single family homes. Oh, yeah. Because then you have managers running all over town to go to each home, which increases costs. Um, you're also paying a, a third party management company, um, a higher fee anytime you're, you're dealing with single family homes. Um, a lot of things aren't kept on site. The list goes on. It's more expensive to buy a single family home. The economies of scale is weight is really heavily in favor of apartments. So when you own a 150 unit apartment complex, you have on-site leasing staff and maintenance staff for one. So they're on the payroll. Um, they're working there 24 seven. Well, not 24 seven, but they're working there during their normal working hours and they're working exclusively on your property. So you have a higher response time to tenant leads. You have a quicker response time on maintenance. You're able to keep maintenance costs lower. You're also buying them on a per unit basis for cheaper. So think about it like you go to Costco and you're buying a huge thing of paper towels. Each paper, paper towel roll you're buying is cheaper because you're buying in bulk. Right. It's the exact same thing with apartment complexes. Our first ever apartment complex was a 32 unit in Indianapolis. We paid a little over $32,000 per apartment unit. Now, if I were to go buy a house in that same community, the average price in that community is just a little over $200,000. And they're going to rent for only a little bit more than our apartment units. So you can see how when you extrapolate that and multiply that by many, many units, you're going to be cash flowing and making much, much more money. Typically, you'll rent an apartment unit for two times the uh, or 2% of um, what you pay for it. So. The economies of scale just ends up being more money, more wealth building, higher cash flow. Um, and you're, there's also the ability to force appreciation on apartment complexes. Um, apologies if I go too into the weeds, but very briefly, when you value a single family home, it's value based off of comps, right? Your mm-hmm. realtor is going to say, okay, here's a list of homes that recently sold with the same number of bedrooms and bathrooms, et cetera. Apartments are not valued that way. Apartments are valued based off of the net operating income. So they take this net operating income and they divide it by the capitalization rate of that market to come up with a value. So the bottom line is increase the bottom line. So you can do that by increasing rents, decreasing expenses, um, adding new fees and things that tenants can pay for, um, you can do revenue sharing contracts with cable companies. There's all sorts of ways that you can increase income and decrease expenses to force appreciation of that property. And so really the ball's in your court when you own apartment units. You can continue to push that value up, whereas you're limited with a single family home. 
So that's just some of the reasons why we love apartment investing and why we went all in on it. That makes a lot of sense. Could you could you do just like a number scenario here? So let's say you've got an apartment unit that's worth, if you want to say 50000 100000 or whatever that's worth. Can you help me understand what what comes into your pocket? What kind of return on investment are you getting from that? Yeah, sure. So let's uh, let me, I guess, give you a quick an example of how powerful it is whenever you're uh, adding value to a property. So let's say I spend, um, let me get a pen out because I can I can give your audience a really great example. And of course, I don't have a pen, but let's just say we spend three thousand dollars a unit to renovate the interiors with minor improvements. Right? We might put okay. on new cabinet faces and stuff like that, some new flooring and new countertops, which is what we do to most of our properties. Mm-hmm. Now, this might command a higher rent premium from uh, renters. So they might be willing to pay $100 more for that newly renovated unit. So if, if they're going to pay $100 more per unit, and we do that across a 150, so let's say $100 times 12. So you're getting about $1,200 right more um, per unit times 150. So you're getting about $180,000 more in income produced on that property. So if you divide that by a cap rate of, say, 5%, you increase the value of that property by $3.6 million. Now, if we spent $3,000 per unit, we spent about $450,000. If we divide that by $3.6 million, our return on investment is 125%. Oh, that's a good good way to invest money. Then. That's pretty solid. Um, okay, well, so now we've just gone, we've been going through this COVID situation where People can't evict people. How has that affected your business? So that's affected our business. And well, when it comes to COVID, luckily our apartment complexes have done really well. Um, our our uh, what we call bad debt, which is the number of tenants that aren't paying their rents or are delinquent on a certain number of rent, and we don't expect that to get back. It's honestly in line with pre-COVID numbers. Okay. So we have had. Um, I think where we were affected most was the lack of people moving during COVID. So in 2020 in particular, we it hurt us a little bit when we had new units go vacant and on the market, and there wasn't as much activity in the market with people moving and willing to rent in, uh, move into those units really quickly. Um, but uh, today, most of those rest- since most of the restrictions are lifted and people are getting back to work, our properties are performing really, really well. Our occupancy is above 90% on all of our properties. Nice. Um, we're able to continue pushing rents. There's been a, a huge increase in, in rents across the nation. Uh, rents are, are rising on average well above what they have in you know pre-COVID numbers. Mm-hmm. So as we've come out of uh, COVID, our properties have actually performed really, really well. Oh, that's and by good the way, I think I said on that earlier, I think it wasn't 125% return on investment. It was a 12.5% return on investment on that example I gave. But um, I just thought about that and wanted to mention that. Okay. So people didn't think I was bad at math, but, um, (laughs) but yeah, our properties have performed incredibly, incredibly well through COVID. And now that we're basically on the tail end of it, uh, we don't really see any effect, even though there is still an eviction moratorium in a lot of counties across the country. Um, most tenants are still paying their rent. Now I, I do know of some people depending on, um, you know, what asset class you're in, in this, these apartments, for example, if you're in like really low income housing, I do know some people that have hurt pretty bad. But it, it sort of depends on where you sit. Most of our properties are what we call B-class of properties. So they're um, upper middle class um, 
tenants that uh, have good pay, higher paying jobs, the median household income is above $50,000 on all of our properties. So most of these tenants are still paying their rent on time. Well, that's good to hear. Okay. So that, so did you deliberately choose to buy apartment units where you felt like it was going to be the most reliable source of income? And were you, are you picky about what you're purchasing or what, what criteria do you use in terms of if something comes up for sale, how do you go about deciding whether or not that's one you guys want to invest in? That's a good question. A lot of things go into that actually, because there's, I would say out of all of the uh, properties we look at that are for sale, we might look at a hundred properties and out of those hundred, we might be interested in maybe 10 of them. And out of those 10, we might make an, uh, an a tentative offer on maybe five of those and then get to a best and final negotiation round on maybe two of those. And then, actually purchase one. Oh, interesting. So most of the deals are not good deals. And it starts by uh, if, when a deal comes across our desk, it, we really start with kind of a funnel to kind of work our way down the funnel and get more and more specific with our, our search criteria. But we start at the beginning with like vintage and unit counts. So we like to look for 150 unit to 300 unit properties. Uh, we like to look for 1990s vintage or newer. Um, and that's not a hard rule. Sometimes we could go a little older than that, depending on the asset. Um, and we like to look in certain markets. Like we're primarily looking in southeastern markets like North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia. Um, and then if it meets that criteria, we'll take a look at the offering memorandum and the financials of the property. Uh, from there, it needs to have enough value add. And what I mean by that is we like to look for properties that um, have something we can do to increase the income, whether that be renovating the interiors, um, renovating the amenities, um, decreasing expenses by, for example, sub-metering all the units for their own water so that we can get rid of that expense, things like that. So we'll, we'll analyze it and see if there's enough of these value-add um, levers we can pull to make money for us and our investors. So once we've done that, we'll look at the financials and we plug these financials into our underwriting model, underwrite the property to determine based off of how much we think we can raise rents, how much we think we can decrease expenses, what kind of returns we can provide to our investors. So we typically look for a 15% IRR or internal rate of return. Uh, we typically will try to get to a 1.8 X equity multiple or higher, which just means we'll multiply our investors' money by 1.8 X or mm -hmm. higher. Um, so we have certain um, return metrics that we target for our investors. And after all of this, if it hits those metrics, we'll make an offer on the property. Okay. So how does somebody get started in this? Like if they don't have that kind of money, I guess they can take it out of their 401k, but how, how do you get going on that with money? That's a good question. If you're going to do this kind of apartment investing business on your own and you want to purchase apartment complexes, like let's say, you want to be the sole owner, then yeah, you're going to need a lot of capital. Um, so, you know, you could do that route of, you know, pulling money out of your 401k or whatever. Actually, that is what I did. And I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, you can joint venture with people. So you can gather a, a group of people that are also interested in this and you can split an apartment acquisition with them. That's called a joint venture. Um, most deals though are purchased what's called, with what's called a syndication model. And that's what my partners and I do. So, Apartment operators um, that you know are, are, have the expertise in this business and have a track record of operating apartment complexes will 
offer an, an investment offering to the, uh, their list of investors. And as an investor, you can get to know these different apartment operators. Find one that you feel has the business model that's the best fit for you in your investment criteria. And you can invest in their deals. Typically, there's an investment minimum. But the syndicators will pull together all of these investors, raise however many millions of dollars they need to go purchase an apartment complex, and then they'll go implement the business plan and purchase it with those funds. Um, and then as an investor, you're completely passive. So you don't lift a finger and all you do is provide the capital while the operators go and implement the business plan. And then you get cash distributions throughout the whole period, either quarterly or monthly. And then when they sell the property, Usually they'll have a predetermined year that they'll sell. It's usually three to five years. Um, our business plans are five years. Oh, okay. And at the end of that five years, uh, the property is sold and the proceeds are distributed to all the investors and they get their initial investment back. So as an investor, if it's something you want to get into, you really have to make the decision. Do you want to be an active investor where you're doing all the work? You're working with the property management company. You're work getting the loan from the lender which, by the way, if you're buying, in our case, a $12.7 million property, it's a little more difficult to get the loan, the lender to loan on that property as compared to a single-family home. But you have to go through all of these steps, get the attorneys, put all of the deal together. If that's what you want to do, it can be very lucrative, but obviously that's going to require a lot of time. Yeah. If you don't have the kind of time and resources to dedicate to all of that, then you can go the passive route. And like I explained, you can find other apartment operators out there and just invest in their deals and reap the rewards that way. Hmm. You, you keep talking about syndicators. Um, and I'm sorry if you explained that and I missed it, but I don't think I caught it. What is a syndicator? What are you referring to there? So an apartment syndicator is another word for an apartment operator that, that pulls money from investors in this method. So okay. raising money for apartments is, is considered a syndication because they're going to um, raise money from investors and file with the SEC. It's usually either a 506B or a 506C filing. And they're technically, it's uh, selling securities because these investors are going to be purchasing shares in the LLC that will then go buy this apartment complex and operate. So those types of investment vehicles are considered apartment syndications. That's just the lingo they use. Okay. And a syndicator or an operator would be someone like myself and my partner's that put together these deals and operate them. Let's see. All right. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Then um, you, you talk about, um, and this is in some of your earlier notes about creating your own brand. So what are you referring to when you talk about creating your own brand and why is that important? So creating your own brand, and this is more just for any entrepreneur in today's day and age, but creating your own brand and setting yourself apart is something that I think takes a lot of effort and, you really have to get yourself out there. So anybody that's listening, for example, that wants to be their own apartment syndicator, you're going to have to get a lot of investors to invest in your deals to go purchase these apartment complexes. And in order to do so, building a brand is a big part of that. And so what I mean by that is, you know, having your own podcast like yourself to discuss multifamily or apartment investing, having your own local real estate meetup so that you can get face to face with investors or other operators and learn from them going to uh, conferences around the country um, going to as many events as you possibly can and through all of this you should be building a brand because you know whether it's pack three capital or kim sheet capital um, you have to 
build some type of a brand that people start to recognize and recommend to other people. So that was, you know, in the notes was, was, I guess, uh, pinpointing directly to somebody that think, that wants to get into this type of business, I'd say. Okay. All right. Good to know. And how do you get, how do you increase tenant leads to, I guess, fill up your spaces there? How do you do that? Oh, good question. So in today's day and age, um, technology and leveraging social media has been really huge for us. So one of the things that my partners and I noticed early on was that, you know, property managers that just plop their property onto Zillow rentals or apartments.com um, are, are, even though those are newer technologies, they're starting fewer and fewer people are using those technologies and focusing most of their time on things like Facebook and Instagram. So one of the ways that we increased our tenant leads fivefold and even greater was by t- doing highly targeted Facebook marketing campaigns and putting our units that are up for rent on the Facebook marketplace. So any property managers or any property owners out there that want to supercharge their tenant leads, we found Facebook to be the absolute most powerful way to do so. Uh, and we do that by not only putting the lead, uh, our empty apartment units on Facebook marketplace, but also having people that can respond to leads um, throughout the day and the evening. Because so many times a tenant lead will message say on like a Saturday when they see the Facebook marketplace ad. And obviously leasing staff is not working on Saturdays. They're not in the leasing office responding to these leads. Well, that person might be spending the whole weekend looking for their next apartment or their next single family home to rent. And after the weekend is over, they might have already made their decision. So you have to get back to that lead as quickly as humanly possible so that you can try and secure them and get them to come check out the property. So we, I always harp to people that are investors to use social media to advertise your units and then have somebody that you're either paying, whether that's a, a virtual assistant, a full, somebody full-time on staff to be responding to these leads and giving them the information they need to schedule a tour as soon as possible. That's really smart. I know it's very competitive right now. Absolutely. To get into a unit, so you're going to take what you can get. I'm sure in a lot of cases. So, yeah, I mean, we still money. have our strict standards, but it's all a numbers game. I mean, and at the end of the day, you know, the longer a unit, every day that a unit is sitting vacant is costing you money, and that's one of the mm-hmm. biggest costs in apartment or even single family investing. You're getting zero income for each of those days, mm-hmm. and whatever your rent is, divide it out by the number of days in the month, and that's how much you're losing per day. So it's absolutely critical that you fill that unit it's super fast. Ideally, while that unit is getting renovated, you're already pre-leasing it. Okay. So somebody knows they're coming in there already. So that's less headache for you guys. Okay. Um, and then are you, are you in the same vicinity as where you're all these apartments that you own or are these long distance for you? So they're long distance for me, but not for my partners. So my I partners, see. Mac venture partners who we co-sponsor these apartment deals with, they live in the market. So most of our portfolios in North Carolina and my partners live in North Carolina and they also own their own property management company that manages our assets oh, local nice. to that region. I live in San Diego, California, so it is long distance for me. But most of the duties that I have in this um, partnership, such as underwriting deals, identifying new acquisitions, raising capital from investors, I can do all of that from here in San Diego, California. So there's not a need for me to also live by the assets, which I love because I love San Diego. 
that's a pretty perfect place, isn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, you mentioned earlier about finding a mentor. So tell me about that and what's the value of that for you? I think having a mentor in when you're when you're an entrepreneur is huge. I, I don't even think that I could put a value on it because it's been so huge for us. Um, when it, you know, because there's all of these guru courses out there for real estate investing where you can spend money to buy someone's course. You can get all of this, these books and um, maybe even have a coach. But the problem with those is at the end, you're, they're going to end up sending you off on your way after you've learned the material to go start doing it yourself. And you're still going to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, at the, you're always going to end up having to go and actually start doing it. And no matter how much material they give you, they can't teach you everything in those books. Having a mentor is, has been critical for apartment investing for a couple of reasons. One, since we're raising capital from investors, there's no way that I would want to get into a deal and have my first syndication where I'm bringing in friends, family, coworkers, and people that I have relationships with. I don't want them giving us their hard-earned cash to invest and trusting us with that cash unless I know for certain that I have the absolute best team to put that capital to work, protect their investment, and give them the returns they're expecting. So even though my partners and I had operated apartments before, we wanted a mentor that had had a long track record on their belt to help guide us and make sure we don't make big mistakes with that money. So our partners and mentors, our, our mentors have become our partners and are doing deals with us now today, but they have transacted over 8,000 apartment units. They've been in this business for 17 years. They're, they own their own property management company and are vertically integrated. They have a full staff of people to, to handle all of this. They have their own CPAs on staff, attorneys. All of this stuff mm-hmm. matters, and it makes implementing the business plan and protecting our investors' capital that much easier. So for us, the mentorship was huge. I mean, just the, the, ability, the ability to avoid those mistakes, have people double checking your work and helping guide this along, it's been invaluable for us. And that's helped catapult us into these larger deals as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we closed on a 150 unit deal with them in May of this year. And actually today we just closed on another 145 unit community mm-hmm. in Greensboro, North Carolina. And without them, there's just no way we would have um, done these deals. So it's helped us with capital raising. It's helped us with learning the nuances of the syndication um, business model. And it's helped us give our investors incredible returns. I mean, on our the very first deal we did with them, we're on track to give our investors a 12% return on their investment in year one. So wow. our investors are really happy. And I would just recommend to anyone that's an entrepreneur if, to find somebody that can take you under their wing and whether that's a paid mentorship, whether that's you providing some kind of value to them by being a workhorse and, and getting work done to, for them to make their job easier and just learning from them as you go. There's ways to have ment- to find a mentor and learn from them that I think will, will basically take years off of your learning experience and just catapult you forward, you know, a decade of learning or more. Yeah, and probably save you some money through painful oh, mistakes. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. All right. Um, how, so are you a pretty um, habit-oriented person in order to make everything happen? Do you have a lot of habits you follow to, to make sure you've got – it seems like you need a lot of discipline to do this. It, I, I would say time management has been the biggest discipline that I've had to get really good with because – 
any given day, there could just be so many different tasks that come up and tasks that need to be completed. So one of the things that the disciplines that I've had to get really good at was um, writing everything down into my calendar and just having a really rigid schedule so that I can get things done, get them done in a timely manner. Um, I also keep track, like I'm really disciplined with tracking multiple key performance indicators in our business. So I just have lots of spreadsheets. I like to track, you know, with our properties, uh, when did the property go vacant? How many days did it take me to get the um, turn quote or quote for renovation from the contractor? How many days until they started working on the unit? How many days did it take them to finish the unit? And then how many days after they were finished did we get a signed lease with someone moving in? That's just one of the many things that I track. I track um, how much we're spending on each and every item so that I build a big database and can understand um, how much something costs. So when I'm underwriting for something or another, that thing comes up again, I know how much to expect to spend. All of these things just require a lot of data entry. And so I think being disciplined on tracking everything in your business helps you make your business more efficient, which ultimately leads to more money and more success for your business. So time management and tracking, I think, are the two biggest things that I've had to get really disciplined with and has really helped my business grow, no doubt. I'll bet. And it probably adds to your brand in terms of you're a very knowledgeable person. You really know your business inside and out. And so you can have a conversation with people, investors, whatever, and they know you know what you're doing. It's pretty cool. Do, are, do you ever mentor for other people now that you know I so don't. much? I don't, and I don't think that I ever will. I don't think that like mm-hmm. teaching is is something that I'm really interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, it, that, that the teaching, maybe I will, maybe at some point in the future, I'll want to give back and I'll want to help someone get their feet on the ground in this business. But I don't foresee it anytime soon, really, and it's because of the time management thing again. I'm so busy now yeah. that I don't foresee myself wanting to take a lot of my time away to then teach someone else. Um. But that could change. I, I don't really know. I don't feel like I'm a good teacher anyways. I don't feel like that's one of my skill sets or strong points. Hmm. But um, you never know. I've learned a lot from you just right now, and I know nothing about this. So, yeah, maybe someday <laughs> when you are doing two jobs and, and everything, you have a little bit more time. Cause that will definitely make it. a difference, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So how about stress? Because I think air traffic controller is is known to be a very stressful job. And then this Mm -hmm. seems like it has a lot of stresses too. There's things that can go wrong and things that fall through. So how does the stress compare with what you are doing in your W2 job versus this? I would say the W2 job. I mean, I started out in air traffic control was definitely really stressful. I think, um, you know, when you're in training in air traffic control, that's gotta be one of the most stressful times in my life. Um, but I've done this job long enough now to where it's second nature to me. And I don't get as stressed at that job as I do with the apartment investing. I think really the apartment investing, wh- where the stress comes from is raising capital. Whenever okay. you, ha- you wear a bit of a burden when you have a lot of people entrusting you with their, with their money. Mm-hmm. You know, it's retirement funds. It's, it's savings that they've saved up a long time for. And I think that. You know, obviously, we're extremely confident in our numbers and we do well for our investors. But there's definitely a weight you carry when you have that many people depending on you and entrusting you um, to perform. Um, And I think that, uh, you know, even early on going out and raising the money and having to 
get in front of groups of people and present to them a business offering and an opportunity. Um, all of that stuff is really stressful too. Getting a, a property to the closing table and with an apartment, there's so many moving parts. It can get really chaotic. There's a lot of things that are needed of you. All of that stuff is the most stressful to me. But once we actually close on the property, start implementing the business plan, start to get the cash flow rolling, then all that weight kind of comes off and it feels a little bit better. But um, I, I think, you know, and also when I when I briefly talked about the time management stuff, that's also can be very stressful because your day can fill up very quickly. You could wake up and, you know, your calendar is really full. You check your email and now all of a sudden you have to hop on multiple phone calls mm-hmm. and, and deal with multiple things happening at a property. So um, that, that can also be a stress point. But I've gotten good at dealing with stress just because I think I'm callous to it. I think I've done so many years of being in the Navy, then being an air traffic controller, uh, being an entrepreneur. All of that stuff has put so much stress on me that I think at this point, I'm just getting callous to stress. And it's just part <laughs> of the business and part of life. And um, I don't fret over it too much anymore. Okay, well, that's good. It does sound like maybe being an air traffic controller has probably been very beneficial to you. You've got a lot of planes in the air. You've got a lot of balls in the air right now where you're, you're trying to juggle all these different things. It, things like, it seems like that's been a good uh, a ground for you to be able to do what you're doing now. It sounds like a Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. Um, and is this something that you think for somebody who's in retirement or definitely heading towards retirement, seems like this could be a good thing. But what about somebody who's already retired? Do you think this is something retirees... You know, it has to be obviously a certain type of person. This isn't going to be everybody's bag, but do you think this would be something beneficial or interesting or fulfilling or financially beneficial? Absolutely. So I think for, you know, retired individuals, you have to ask yourself if you want to be active or passive. If you want to be a passive investor, I think that it's a great investment vehicle um, for you. Um, I think for most retired people, they're probably not going to want to be do the entrepreneurial aspect of it and start building a business from the ground up and raising capital for apartment deals. But I think that a lot of them might uh, find it attractive that they can invest their, some of their capital into an asset that's not going away. Uh, real estate is always evergreen. You can never replace the basic need for food, shelter, and clothing. Mm-hmm. And Good being point. in the business of providing shelter is always going to be there. Real estate is a great hedge against inflation. It's a great... Um, investment class to get the holy grail of investing, which is cash flow, um, monthly or quarterly cash flow put into your bank account and then large proceeds when you sell. So I think for a lot of um, retired individuals to supplement their income with some cash flow would probably be very attractive to them. And a lot of retired individuals do invest in our deals. Absolutely. Yeah. And for some people, it might be something they would really enjoy, be more active too. So I it just so, depends on sure. your personality, I guess, and, and if you can handle all the stress. 1,000%, yes. Yeah. Well, if somebody decides this is what they want to do, they want to get involved, even let's just say from a passive point of view, where do they go? Do they go on the internet and look up passive real estate investing? Do they come to your website? How do they get in? So if you want to be a passive investor in real estate, there's a couple. One of the first things that I would do is to try to get more familiar with this business. Start to understand the, the terms and lingo that these you know apartment operators are going to throw your way when they present you with an opportunity. There's a great book uh, from Brian. I think it was written by Brian Burke called The Hands-Off Investor. 
Um, it's about passively investing in real estate deals. I might have butchered that title, but I, I believe it's by Brian Burke called The Hands-Off Investor. And that's a great book to kind of teach you a little bit about apartment investing, passively apartment investing, and teach you what to look for, how to determine what is going to be the best investment for you. I think that's a great place to start. And then from there, um, you need to find some operators that you you like the, them as people, you like their track record, you like the markets they're investing in, and reach out to them and start the conversation. Um, if you want to learn more about us, you can go to our website, which I know you'll have in the show notes, factorycapital.com, mm-hmm. yep. um, and you can set up a call with us. Um, get to know us, meet us in person, possibly things like that. Um, and there's a lot of other really great operators out there that have their own podcasts that are that write books and create value and, and and teach you about this business. I think finding someone that you like and trust is is a starting point. And then from there, uh, get put on some a couple of these operators investors lists. And then when good deals come, they'll present them to you, and then you can handpick which apartment investment makes the most sense to you and what you're what you're interested in. Okay. This has been really, really helpful. Thank you so much. I appreciate all your information. And so people can find you at PAC. So that's P-A-C three, just the number three, right? Not spelled out. Mm-hmm. Number yep. three, capital, C-A-P-I-T-A-L.com. So PAC3capital.com. And we've been talking with Sean D. Martell. And his last name is spelled D-I. M-A-R-T-I-L-E. And I will have all of this for you in the show notes. So you can just scroll down and click on all these, including the links that he included for some of the books here that would be helpful to you. But he's got a lot of good information here. And I know for a lot of people, um, continuing to find a way to make money is just a fact of life. We all live a lot longer, generally speaking, than our parents did. And so we need to find ways to continue to bring income in. And plus, it sounds like if you want to get involved in this, and if this is your kind of interest... This could be very fulfilling and very interesting for you and certainly keep you on your toes all day, every day. So Absolutely. Yeah. So thank you, Sean, for your time coming on here. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I, I really, really do appreciate it as well. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Pivot and Thrive. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you know anybody who you think would be a great subject for this podcast, please have them contact me. They can go to my website, retirementpurposecoach.com. And at the bottom of that front page, there is a contact section and they can just reach me right there. I'd love to hear from them. I am a certified retirement coach. So if you need any help from me with your retirement so that you have your own success story, you can contact me there as well. I'd like to thank Bokuwa and Wizzy2k for the use of their song, Will You Stay With Me? I have the link to that song in the show notes. Have an excellent rest of your day, whatever it is that you're doing. I hope it's purposeful. You'll enjoy your life so much better if that's your focus. Bye for now.